Welcome to the Old Spiral Podcast. My name is Brian Grimm, and with me is my co-host, Drew Evans. Drew, what's your favorite band? Oh, jeez. That's like asking me which of my dogs is my favorite. That's, That's nice. Today we're talking about brewing. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Old Spiral Podcast. <laughs> you can't just start out laughing. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah. Soundproof also means, like, airproof. So as long as you have a good... You got lingering ventilation. farts that way, though. Yes, that's true, but the cigar smoke should overwhelm that. Still farts, still cigars. <clears throat> All right. Welcome to Old Spiral Podcast. <laughs> Is it my turn? I don't know. It's... Let's just do this. Let me try something. Okay. Okay. Welcome to the Old Spiral Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Evans, and my co-host is with me, Brian Grimm. Brian, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about brewing. We're coming off of our interview with Pete Broyles from Riverport Brewing Company. It was a lot of fun talking to him about a local brewery and just kind of his journey from home brewer to uh, owning a brewery. Yeah, it was super fun and... Uh, it was a really unique story, and it was a great uh, conversation. You got to go check out that episode. So today, I thought it'd be fun to give just kind of a brief, non-technical overview of the process that takes barley from the field and, and, and turns it into beer in your glass. Yeah, and I'm super interested in this because, as I've mentioned in other episodes, I don't know anything about beer. So hearing Brian's perspective on this as a home brewer is pretty cool. Before we get into that, I just want to kind of cover what's going on this weekend in the Valley. On Friday, we've got Redheaded Stepchild at MJ Barley Hoppers, and that starts at 8. And then Shania Rales is playing with Aaron Cerruti at Corner Villa Sports Bar from 7 to 10. Also on Friday at the Mystic Cafe, you can find the Lucky Jays, and they're kind of a an alternative for a, a rock Americana blues rock band. And they'll be playing from 7 to 9. Saturday, February 1st is International Gruet Day. And at Gray Gruet in downtown Lewiston, they will be celebrating from 4 to 1 a.m. with the Big Bog Hazy IPA. Also on Saturday, the No Pants Band will be at MJ Barley Hoppers at 8. And Henry Funk will be playing up in Kendrick at Hardware Brewing Company starting at 7 o'clock. Now... We had to look up what Gruet was exactly. Uh, so, Drew, I, what did you find about what is Gruet? Um, I guess it was a traditional beer-making ingredient similar to barley. Neat. Similar <laughs> to hops, right? Or Yeah, maybe it was similar to hops. Well, we'll find out all about that in today's episode. I kind of just wanted to... Drew and I talked about brewing for a while, and... There's so much information you can get lost in rabbit holes and, and scatter back and forth from one one thing to another. So I thought I'd just lay it out today in a simple, brief, just a way so you could understand how, how you go from growing barley to drinking beer. We'll do a short history of a local brewer, and then we'll talk about uh, an American pale ale. All of this information will be posted to Facebook along with the equipment and ingredients mentioned. So at the end of this episode, you should have a better idea of where beer comes from and how it's made. 
And where you can get set up with homebrew stuff too, right? That's right. I'll tell you where you can get ingredients, um, and we'll just go over. We're just going to do the simplest kit you can kind of think of, uh, and then if you want to expand, you can read a book or send me an email if you have any other questions on on stuff you might need. Yeah, so this is just kind of an introductory sort of how-to. It's not like for the serious home brewer, right? No, the serious home brewer, you could listen to this episode and then email if email me if I uh, make a mistake on anything. Uh but it should be it should just a comprehensive view of brewing with an example recipe that you can try at home. Sweet. I'm excited. Nice. So I've got a little story about uh, the Wise Gerber Brewing Company and, and more specifically Chris Weisberger, uh, Gerber, excuse me. So Drew, you were going to do some sort of history event and you learned a little bit about the Wise Gerber building. Uh, what did you learn about it? Um, I didn't learn a terrible lot about the building, but I learned a little bit about the man himself and how he eventually became mayor of Lewiston and his uh, trip over here from Europe to where uh, he came over to start a brewery with his brother. But yeah, in terms of the building, I kind of vaguely know where it was. It seems like it was just off of Normal Hill um, near the confluence, somewhere in that area. And that's the original building? I believe so. If you go to the Nez Perce County Historical Society Museum, they've got a bunch of different images that you can check out of that original space. And I think if I remember right, that is where it was. But that was an internship some time ago. Yeah, and that original building caught fire. It did. Lewiston's downtown area has been plagued with fires and floods. Right. (laughs) Grew it. Grew it. (laughs) Um, All right, so the story goes, in 1869, uh, Chris Weisgerber... He gets on a train from Ohio to come west and try his hand at brewing. And on that train, he ran into Henry Weinhardt of uh, Henry Weinhardt Beer and Root Beer. Fantastic root beer, if I might say myself. You know, I bet you Prohibition, uh, they really refined their root beer making skills. Probably so. Probably did. It's affordable and delicious. (laughs) Brought to you by Henry Weinhardt Root Beer. Um. Anyway, so they apparently were. They met on the train, and they were saying, uh, "We're both going west to brew. Uh, let's let's one of us take you know kind of Idaho, and let's the other one take Oregon, and that way we can spread out." And they flipped a coin, and Weisgerber settled in Lewiston, and Henry Weinhard went to Oregon. Right. Yeah, that's a really cool story. And regardless of how true it actually is, it's kind of a fun thing that's just been passed down in Lewiston. I'm going to go ahead and believe it because it's funner that way. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) What we do know is that uh, the Weisgerber family is from Wachterbach, Germany. How would you pronounce that, Drew? You nailed it. All right. (laughs) And uh, they came over in the second half of the 19th century. And Krista did take over his brother's brewery. Oh, no. What was his brother's name? I don't know. started with an E. Elias. Sorry, everybody. Uh, He took over his brewery. His brother claimed to be the first brewer in Idaho, the Idaho Territory at that time. 
Uh, but he took it over in 1871 and ran the brewery until 1914. Uh, so during that year, he died and Prohibition shut down his brewery in the same year. So a true brewmaster. Yeah, that's super interesting that all of those things happened in the year that he died. And his brother's name was Ernst. Which starts with an E. Thank you. Ernst. Sorry, I forgot that. Ernst. (laughs) All right. Yeah, so that's kind of fun. And so Weisgerber actually was probably the second largest brewer in idaho there was another guy lemp down in boise who claims that number one spot but the the book i got this from which i will put on facebook because i forgot the title right now it's something about inland northwest brewing from 1850 to 1950 sweet but yeah I'll, i'll put that on facebook later Everyone knows this area is known for grain production. I mean, we live in the Palouse. Drew, what's the Palouse do? Grows grain. What do you know? (laughs) So we actually have incredibly good soil, and it would be fun to, uh, throughout time, get some people who do research on all sorts of topics in here. I'd like to talk to those guys that made that new Washington crisp apple. Hmm. I'd like to talk to the people that discovered the uh, earthworm. What is the wash? What is oh, the, the Palouse? The, the Palouse earthworm. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we will dock dock those down. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, the soil up there is incredibly good. My grandma tells this story because we own some land up there, and they one of their their people was farming barley. And they had a particularly good year. And he goes in with his plow to or his uh, his plow to get it, and it gets stuck because the barley's so thick. So he has to call my grandma's brother to come with the bigger one, and he gets his stuck in there. So they had to <laughs> finally get them both out and unplugged, and they just had to go super slow because it was just so thick with barley hmm. in there that year. So it beer comes from barley. It's the main grain that we say when we say grain. So wheat goes into some types of beer. Rye goes into some type of beer. But generally, you can assume that someone's talking about barley unless they mention something else. And particularly for this recipe, is that true? Yeah, and for this recipe, exactly. We're we're just using uh, malted barley. Barley comes in two-row and six-row, uh, and that just kind of has to do with you've seen the wheat or barley kind of looks similar it's just the rows of grain on the top does it two or six row and six row barley has more protein and so it's not necessarily used in beer so the barley that we talk about in beer is two row Hmm. very interesting yeah so you can't just take grain from the field and well you probably can it, but you don't want to take just grain from the field and throw it in the mash and do all that and make beer out of it. What you're going to want to do is malt the barley. So all the beer recipes we use are going to be using malted barley. It goes to a malting facility where it's partially germinated, and then that process is stopped by exposing the grain to higher temperatures. So grains contain starches, which, if planted, would turn into sugar by something called enzymes to feed the plant and help it grow so it can sustain itself uh, until it can photosynthesize. 
So the malting process activates these enzymes for the mash step, which is also called the starch conversion step at the beginning of a brew. And the time and temperature involved in the malting process give the variety of malts that are used in different beer styles, going from like that light biscuit flavor that you had at Riverport Mm -hmm. to like the dark chocolate caramel coffee flavor that were in that stout. Okay, so there's not necessarily like a standard operating procedure for temperatures and times that can vary from style to style of beer? Yeah, so they're kind of... Exactly. It varies from style to style to beer. So there's different kinds. The the type, we're doing an American pale ale today. And so the grain that we're using is just a, it's a pale malt. Mm-hmm. So it's lightly roasted. Not a lot of heat, not a lot of time in there. Okay, makes sense. Yeah, so you just get all the different types of grains. Right. They're all two-row barley or they're mostly two-row barley but the t- the way they were malted. And those longer malts, that was um, like that oatmeal stout that I had, right? That was a longer malt, for example. Yeah. And it gives it more of like that coffee sort of taste. Exactly. Yeah, which for me as a uh, beer virgin was a little bit, a little bit challenging for me. It was too much flavor. Yeah, a little much. It was a little much. I mean, I could see why people would like it, but for me... Just a little bit much. That's all right. You got to work your way into it. So let's start off by talking about what equipment you're going to need to brew. So this is the most basic you can get. So if you want to go out and start for like just a couple hundred bucks tomorrow, less if you can swing it, you know, it depends what you have laying around, you can do it. Yeah. If you want to look more into it, uh just youtube stuff okay yeah and i mean i like that idea because i know for me like anytime i'm getting into a new hobby i always want to kind of keep it simple at first because you know what if you get into this and you don't like it right yeah riverport has books you can read while you're drinking so you're gonna want a good you're gonna want a good uh brewing book i recommend a book called Designing Great Beers by Ray Daniels. It just contains some more sciencey information for those people who want it, but it also just has the recipes and the basic information that I'm going to talk about so you can start immediately. Sweet. Yeah. As a scientist, it's kind of fun. It talks about, you know, mash pH and kind of en- enzymatic activity at various temperatures and all sorts of fun stuff. Cool. Conversion efficiencies. Yeah, and I suppose if you know that stuff when you start out, it might help with your protocols later. Yeah, it helps, but you know what? It's it's not too bad. Anyone can learn it. Cool. Yeah. You're also going to want sanitizers. So there's two main ones. It's Iodophore and Star San. There are others that I'm sure are fine. And you just follow the directions on the package when you're making it. Generally, when you're brewing, you'd get like a five-gallon bucket with a couple gallons of sanitizer in it just to put stuff when you're not using it. You know, so you're just not setting it on the counter or something. Right. So, Iodophore and Starsan are brands or are those Yeah, types? they're brands. And, well, they're brands and types. So, okay. Iodophore is, it's basically iodine, mm-hmm. which is used as a water cleaner. Like, you could take it backpacking and stuff. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Those like old school iodine tabs that exactly. people put in. Yeah, very okay. similar. And then Star San is an acid, uh, acid based sanitizer, so it lowers the pH. And Do you have a preference for when you brew? I like Star San. 
no reason really in particular. Just your brand that you started with or something? Yeah, kind of. I've used IOTA 4 and it's fine. I just, I don't know. It's just personal preference. Oh, okay. Yeah, they both work really well. Uh, So, also with that bucket, though, you're going to want maybe a spray bottle on hand. That's going to make your life a whole lot easier. Because then you can just like... What is the what is the for people that don't know? Because I I don't know what it's a spray bottle, right? But what are you spraying down? Just whatever, yeah. <laughs> Just whatever. The you cat. Think. Well, the I dog? mean, it depends what they're doing. But I'm talking about if you're like, hey, I, this needs to be sanitized real quick. Okay, just, I got you. You know what I mean? Okay, you'll know when the time is right. All right. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, you got your sanitizers, you got a book, you got a recipe. And the recipe, like I said, will be included. I'll 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 post it all on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. Uh the boil kettle, you're gonna want one that's like two to four gallons larger than the size of the batch you're making. And that kind of goes with like if you're making a small batch, you can get away with it being two gallons larger. If you're making a big batch, like five to ten plus gallons, you're sure. gonna want more headspace yeah yeah i mean i feel like that's just kind of basic rules of cooking too right so today we're gonna do a like a three gallon batch and so uh you're gonna want at minimum a four and a half gallon kettle cool right uh so if you're getting extra fancy you can add a nozzle on the bottom with a ball lock valve and then that's great for draining it later Sweet. And is that something that you can just readily buy, or do you kind of yeah, have to make it? Tri-State and Moscow has some of those, and Pete might have one on hand also. I'm not sure. Yeah, he might be able to get you one otherwise. Oh, yeah. Pete at Riverport could definitely get you one. Cool. Uh, so if you don't have one of those nozzle ball lock things, you can get a uh, siphon pump, and or a siphon, and they make ones that are just kind of handheld self-starting. You just pump it a couple times. You don't have to put your mouth on anything. <laughs> Unless you want to, uh, but I, you know, I don't know who's going to, anyway. Especially if it's uh, covered in IOTA 4 or Star Sand. Yeah, it's, it's you know, you just get one of those handheld ones. They're pretty cheap at Riverport or Tri-State Outfitters in Moscow. Sweet. And you can look for stuff online, but I'm sure Pete would love to see you. All right, so we're going to be adding hops and we're going to be adding grain and the batch that we're doing today is pretty small so actually you do, you can put your just your grain in a bag they're muslin bags muslin uh they're the same type of fabric for hops or grain so when you put your hops in to boil you don't want to just throw them in because they'll break apart and it you can get it'll really cloud up your wort which right. we'll, we'll cover what that is later uh, same with the grain. If you're using grain, you don't want to just throw it in there. You can contain it in these bags. And what all that is, it's like a tightly woven cotton, uh, bag. Yeah. You, you kind of described it to me as like being like a tea bag of sorts, right? Yeah, exactly. Is it kind of like the material that you use for like game bags, like to store meat in after you harvest? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say it's it's similar, maybe a little bit larger holes. Oh, okay. I have known a man to use nylon stockings before. Hmm. Uh, he says he didn't feel too much shame buying them at the store. 
I wonder if that affected the taste. I don't think it would. I don't think they flavor the nylon stockings. Okay, fair enough. I don't think nylon. <laughs> Do they make flavored stockings, Drew? They might. I can't say I would know for certain. Hmm. Well, if you're going to bottle, you're going to need bottles, a bottle capper, and bottle caps. Uh, that's pretty self-evident. Uh, that five-gallon bucket of sanitizer is really good when you're bottling. You throw all your bottles in that, and you just pull a bottle right out of there and then put it in the put the beer in, and you're good to go. Cool. For people doing uh, grain brews, you're going to want something called a mash tun eventually, and it's used to do that mash step, which is where you take the starches in the grain and you turn it into sugar. Uh, you've got a lot of liquid in there, and you can pull that out, and that's what's eventually going to be your beer. Um, when you do grain brewing, it's just going to give you more control over what you're doing, and 99 times out of 100, it's just going to make a better beer. And a mash tun is its just a, an insulating container with a false bottom where the grain and hot water are added. Uh, if you don't want to do that and you're doing a smaller batch, you can, like I said, just put it in one of those bags, the grain bags. Cool. And is that... Is that extract brewing? Extract brewing, you don't need to worry about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Extract brewing, it does that step for you. Gotcha. Yeah. So you don't have to mash. After that, if you do, are doing more than a, like a three-gallon batch, which you can get away with on like a decent stove, mm-hmm. on the stove top, you can look into getting like a stove or, or, I mean, a propane burner. Right. And just look into the kind of BTUs to get whatever you're doing to a boil you want it to boil within like half an hour sure i mean obviously as fast as you can without burning anything right yeah and then you just need something to ferment in which can be like a five gallon bucket with a special lid that has a port for an airlock uh the airlock is filled with that water sanitizer solution and it lets gases escape because when the yeast are fermenting the the wort into beer they're going to create CO2, and that's going to get out of the container. But you don't want to get anything in because everything needs to be sanitized that touches the wort after it's boiled or after the yeast have turned that wort into beer. You don't want any bacteria on it at all. Uh, Carboy also works for fermentation. It's like a big jug with kind of a small port. It has a, um, a plastic piece that, or a rubber piece that fits, fits in that port. It's called a bung. And then... And then the airlock fits tightly. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I want to do this. <laughs> All right. Let's bring it home. All right. Uh, Carboy also works for fermentation. It has a bung, and the, and the airlock fits tightly in the bung hole. My question to you, Brian, is do you need TP for the bunghole? <laughs> My name is Cornholio, but uh, I think we're fine and airlock will work. Uh, so some extra stuff you might want to have on hand would be like spatulas, towels if you're beginning, definitely get some towels, a notebook to keep track of stuff, a thermometer, a hydrometer to test uh, you can use that for calculating alcohol percentage, a pH meter. When you're done, you'll want to clean it. Uh, something called powdered brewery wash is really good to clean with. And then cleaning brushes. 
It's something else that might be handy, a scale, a scale for the hops and grain, and then a grain mill because when you get your grain, it's malted, you're going to want to mill it, which is basically just kind of breaking it apart, and it just helps that conversion go faster. So let's do the beer. We're going to do an American Pale Ale. It's got a two malt, so two different grains, a single hop uh, American Pale Ale. It's sim similar to a Sierra Nevada. Um there's something called the Beer Judge certific Certification Program, and it has style guidelines, and they say that it should have a moderate to high hop flavor and aroma. It should be kind of floral, pine, fruit, citrus, and then it should have a clean flavor with not much of an aftertaste or kind of just a light, fruity, citrusy aftertaste. Hmm. Uh, it should be a pale to light amber with kind of an off-white head, and then the IBUs, which are kind of how bitter it is, it should be between 30 and 50 that's not it's ipas would then be like 50 to and higher okay so it shouldn't be terribly hoppy but you should just get uh just get some of the flavors that i mentioned before so where does that stack up between let's say a coors light and an ipa uh coors light you're looking at ibu of like 10 mm -hmm. and then an ipa i would assume around like 65 70 Okay. So this is like 30 to 50. Today we're doing it at about 50 just because I'm also doing an extract brew. Mm. Those tend to taste a little bit more malty, and so you can bump up the IBUs without necessarily tasting the IBUs as much, and it cuts mm. out some of that flavor. Okay. So just a little trick if you're doing an extract is you can bump up the IBUs just a little. Good to know. Yeah. And then uh, the ingredients today depend on whether you're doing an extract or a grain brew. Either one will make three gallons of beer. So for the grain brew, you'll need six pounds of what's called pale malt and then a half a pound of a something called Crystal 60. So that 60 represents how dark it gets. Uh, generally, you've got um, maybe you could do a 25, 40, 60, 80, 120. 120 and an 80 are pretty dark. 60 is actually kind of dark, but I went to the Sierra Nevada website, and it's kind of what they used. Or it is what they used, so I, I went for it. Okay. Uh, you don't want to use too much of that crystal malt because it kind of gives a caramel flavor. It's mostly for the color in this case. Mm -hmm. The caramel flavor is something you don't want as much. Uh, so you want two ounces of we're going to use Cascade hops, which are grown in Washington, like Cascade Mountains. Sure. Cascade hops. Uh, you're going to want five hop bags, uh, one for the half pound of crystal malt if you're using the grain bags, uh, and then you'll want a larger grain bag for the pale malt if you're not using a mash ton, like we were mentioning earlier. Mm -hmm. So a minimum four and a half gallon pot, and then maybe a smaller two to three gallon pot for heating water, and that'll come in, in handy later. And then Safeale US 05 yeast for fermentation. Cool. The extract's pretty similar, same hops, same bags. Uh, there's five pounds of what's called the pale liquid malt extract. You can also, if you want to, use four pounds of extract and one pound of crystal 40. And I went with 40 this time because the extract's actually a little darker than the grain is. Mm. And so to get the same color, I dropped it down a little bit. Gotcha. And that's using that Beersmith program that you can buy for like $30. Okay. And that was an app? It's, right? yeah, you can get it on your phone. You can also get it on your computer. It's like a okay. program, software. 
Sweet. So that might be another resource to have handy when you're out there brewing. It is helpful. Cool. Yeah, very helpful. Uh, but the same pots, same yeast and everything. So for the first step, we'll just start with the all-grain mash because it has an extra step at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So extract people don't have to worry about this first step. But you need to mill the grain. You can get that done wherever you buy it. Um, and then heat two and a half gallons of water in that large pot to 170 degrees Fahrenheit. And then add the milled grain to a bag, tie it off, add it to the pot, and stir everything around. And your goal is to get it to 152 degrees and then keep it at 152 degrees for an hour. Hmm. That's going to give a good mix of, there's two different kind of enzymes. One's a little more malty, one's a little more alcohol, and it's just a good mix of them. There's a lot of different ways to mash, so if you want to learn more about it, do some reading in that book, or go talk to Pete at Riverport. He's pretty knowledgeable, too. Cool. So at the end of this hour, uh, as it's coming to an end, heat about a gallon and a half in the smaller pot uh, to about a boil, and then pour that boiling water into the pot, Mm -hmm. and the goal is to get it to about 170 degrees in that pot or a little 170, 175 if you can, and then leave it for about five more minutes. And that's just going to stop all that conversion activity. And then you can pull, pull up the grain and then let it drain out and then discard it. Hmm. So what you have left in that pot now is called wort and you're going to want to bring that to a boil and you should have just over four gallons of water at this point. And when you're bringing it to a boil when it's at the wart stage, are you trying to reduce that at that point? It will be reduced, but you don't want to do like a crazy high boil. Mm-hmm. It, uh, you uh, Just a, a low boil will work. Okay. Yeah, but just naturally it'll be reduced. Uh, the, the boil is more for adding our hops, so which we'll do the longer the hops are in, the more the bitter you'll get and the less time the hops are in the boil the more of the flavor and aroma you'll get gotcha so as soon as it's up to a boil you'll add uh so we've got our two bag we got two ounces of hops and you'll take one of those up and you'll quarter it and you'll put one quarter of those hops in at 90 minutes Mm -hmm. and then let it go for 30 minutes and then you'll put in the second um quarter of hops in let it go another 30 minutes and then you'll add half of an ounce of the hops in Hmm. and let it go another 30 minutes turn it off the heat and put in one more ounce of of hops and that last ounce you're not going to get much uh out uh, much bitterness but you'll get a lot of the flavor that's crazy how flavorful it is because it just doesn't sound like that much when you're dealing with that many gallons, but it still imparts a lot of flavor. It really does. Yeah, it's 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 good. And what other people will do is something called dry hopping, and they'll ferment for a couple days, mm-hmm. and then they'll put more hops in and let it sit for a while. And, and that's just to achieve a more bitter taste? No, no bitter, just all smell at that point. Oh, huh. Yeah. Maybe a little flavor too, but those are pretty connected. So your goal is to cool that as quickly as possible after you boil it. If you're using something called a wart chiller, you can put that in when it, when there's about 15 minutes left just to make sure it's sanitized. 
but that's not necessarily something I need in the beginning stages of being a home brewer. No, what you it's helpful. Okay. But no, you can skip it. But if you're going to skip it, you're going to want to do an ice bath. So you're going to have a container with ice water that you can put your wart, hot wart in and just hopefully it cools it down faster. Okay. So for like low tech purposes, could I just use like a sanitized five gallon bucket with ice? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, if, if your pot will fit in it. Okay. And sanitize is keyword because you don't want anything getting in there. Right. After it's boiled. So this is where sanit- sanitization is necessary. So if you've got a spatula and you're stirring it, it's good to have that bucket in there. You can just set it in there. You don't have to worry about it. Okay. Um, so once it's cooled to about, it, just make sure it's below 72 degrees Fahrenheit. Once it's cooled to about 70, you can pitch the yeast. Make sure your airlock is tight and store it for 10 days away from sunlight. And then after that 10 days is up, you can uh, slowly cool it to serving temperature before bottling, and that'll just help get stuff out of it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will transfer it to a secondary container, leave it in the cold for a few days, and get that stuff out, and then bottle it or keg it from there. Okay. So I don't necessarily want to put it into the bottles at like a... Like what would be like a drinkable refrigerator temp? Well, I mean, you can. The whole point of putting it somewhere cold is to get a clearer beer. Oh, okay. Yeah. You don't have to. There's no, nothing that says you have to. Okay. So yeah, as long as I am not making it too hot and I'm not like out in in the summertime, you know, in the sunlight or whatever, I can do this in my garage and it's just fine. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I've got a an old fridge that... I can use with a little temperature controller and mm-hmm. it kicks the fridge on and off, keeps it at the right temperature. Actually, what I do is in my basement, I just set the thermo- or the temperature to 68 and then cover it with a blanket. Mm. It's that easy. And then my, t- my basement stays at the right temperature. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So air conditioning can do it. Sweet. So that's it. That's, I mean, once you've bottled... You're you can uh, oh if you're gonna bottle <clears throat> if you're gonna bottle you're gonna want something called corn sugar and then you're gonna add the correct amount for what you have and then stir it up and then put that in your bottles and cap it and then that'll do the carbonation for you sweet yeah and that's that and I hope it wasn't uh, too boring uh, but that's barley from the field to beer in your glass and any questions or if you want more detail about the steps you can email me at oldspiralpodcast at gmail.com and I don't know I just really enjoyed talking about beer it was fun yeah it was cool to learn about all this stuff because again like I said I have no knowledge about it what do you think is someone who had, isn't that into beer was that uh quick and easy enough process do you, I think so. do you have more understanding about where it came from i think that if i went and purchased the right materials that i could maybe do this yeah yeah and i'll have all those steps up and it's it's really easy <laughs> really easy yeah cool before we take off what are your five favorite beers right now my five favorite beers so i really like um something called a belgian ale like a belgian double ale mm-hmm I I really do like <clears throat> I really do like the American Pale Ale. Mm-hmm. I've made a few different types of them, and I I really enjoy it. I think we grow really good hops in this area, mm-hmm. so I try to get um, Tri-State and Moscow has grain you can get 
that was grown and malted in near Spokane. Oh, that's cool. So I'll try to get all those and then all the hops and just make it a really local beer. That's that's really cool. Uh, let's see. So that's two. Uh, three, I like a good lager. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a good lager down at Groundwork Brewing. And he was a Hell's Lager. But I don't remember who it was from. Okay. So that's three... If I had to go with four, are we talking beer types or specific beers? I don't know. I guess I was just curious about, uh, like, maybe if there was, like, a brewery or uh, a company that had, like, signatures that were particularly good right now. Hmm. I haven't been getting out as much as I like. Um, I like a good Hefeweizen, Mm -hmm. but, like, the traditional style, not like an American wheat beer. Mm -hmm. Well, I do like an American wheat beer, but uh, Polliner. Makes mm-hmm. one a good one, and that's always on tap at Hogan's. Let's see here. Do, is it Ten Barrel? Is that what that brand's called, Ten Barrel? No, it's called Polliner. I know, but isn't there one called Ten Barrel? Yeah, there's definitely one called. Yeah, because I feel like I've seen you drink those before, too. Yeah, Ten Barrel. I was having a, their pub beer. Mm. That's just a basic lager. Mm. Uh, and then I'm trying to think. There's a... Uh, Huck- oh, okay, there's a Huckleberry Ale. I'm going to do two for one on this last okay. one. Okay. There's a Huckleberry Ale, but he also makes a Huckleberry Sour up at Paradise Creek Brewing mm. Company. I don't know if it's on right now because Huckleberries aren't on, but he also has ginormous tanks up there, so he might have made enough for the apocalypse. <laughs> um, so I would go up to Pullman, and I would try the Huckleberry Ale. There you go. There it is. All right, everyone, thanks for checking this episode out. Um, As always, if you want to reach out to us, you can email us at oldspiralpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, also at oldspiralpodcast. And I guess that's it. Yeah, go out and check out those events that are happening this weekend around you. And get set up and brew some beer and email us some pics. Let us know how it went. What is the what is the psh-